Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough. John Lennon once said, a dream you dream alone is only a dream. A dream you dream together is reality. Join me as we connect dreams to reality by chatting with innovators from around Washington, DC. Our show is proudly sponsored by the DC chapter of the Entrepreneurs Organization. This is the Impactful Leadership Show. Welcome to the Impactful Leadership Show. I'm your host, Greg McDonough, CEO of Blackburn Capital Advisors. Today's guest is a number one international best-selling author, top-rated speaker, trainer, coach, entrepreneur. Started his business journey at age 15. Uh, he's the author of Motivate the Unmotivated, the host and fellow podcaster of the Best People, Best Places podcast, founder and president of the Local Vendors Coalition, president of Ultimax, CEO of Take Part Foundation, and the CEO of Life Pulse. Please welcome Matt Granados. Welcome, Matt. Appreciate it, Greg. And I, I guess you got my mom to give you the uh, the intro, <laughs> right? Every little t- nut and bolt. I do uh, need to talk to her about shortening that. <laughs> it, it went much smoother when I practiced, believe me, but that's okay. Uh, we uh, it must have been the, the intensity of our conversation before I hit the record button. Um, anyways, Matt, great to have you on the show. Uh, we focus here on leadership. And my favorite question to ask is tell me about some misconceptions in leadership. Uh, the first one that pops in my head is who serves who, right? When it comes to leadership, um, I always tell anyone who's on my staff or any co- anyone I'm consulting is, look, my, my job is to serve you. Uh, and as a manager, one thing I found when it comes to leadership and management, um, that gets confused. And a lot of people who are leaders uh, don't know how to manage. To be a leader in today's world uh, is kind of just a title. Like you're now a leader and it gets thrown on people all the time versus something that's actually earned. And when it comes to actually leading people, it's it's almost how do I remove roadblocks from you and uh, so that you can do your job versus how do I do the job for you? And when I've worked with companies, large companies, companies that we all use on a regular basis, one of the biggest issues I find when it comes to leadership and the misconception is, is the goal of a leader is to get the job done. And that is not the goal. The goal of a leader is to lead others to get the job done. Mm. So that would be the biggest misconception. And what I call that, there's a difference between managing and babysitting. Babysitting, you get the job done, whatever it takes. Managing, you help others actually do their job. That's well said. You know, what comes to mind uh, as you're describing that, right? The managing versus babysitting is around empowerment, right? And it's around yep. teaching others to think for themselves. It's truly right building leaders or showing the way. Maybe you're not necessarily building them as a leader, but the way you behave and act and treat them is how hopefully they then treat the, the people that follow them and then so on and so on. So it's not this command and control initiative anymore. It's truly like, how can we empower the people around us to do something to the greater good? Yeah, the way we describe it is 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 there's these gaps that are growing and they're and they're growing more and more. And this gap is basically between companies' desired wants and individuals' desired lifestyles. And with this, that comes with management, whether you own the company, whether you're managing a department, whether you're managing a division, whether you're managing a team or a single employee, is there's this disconnect. And what we've done as companies is it doesn't matter whether it's an external disconnect. Uh, something that's causing this gap, like, like, I don't know, a pandemic or a war or economic instability or whatever might be causing that issue now, or an internal issue. And you can name any of the, you know, highly marketed self-growth, you know, categories that we all think will solve our problem. You could throw all you want at the problem. We found with what we do, 
is the only way to properly bridge that gap is to properly equip the employee so that they could bridge the gap back to the company. We spent so much time as leaders, and the way we describe this is, you know, in the 50s, uh, we were told and taught what I call the drill sergeant style, right? And we know this from our parents and our grandparents, the greatest generation to ever live is if there's a gap, you just deal with it. You get over it yourself or you die trying. And then it went into the 60s. And if you look at how kind of leadership became something, the 60s was more of the, hey, you're going to be able to do it, Greg, no matter what. It's more positivity without much uh, uh, confirmation behind it or without much much depth to that positivity. Then we got into the 70s and the 80s and this concept of, 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 of personal growth and self-development came out on a grand scheme, right? It was always around since the 30s and and that type of stuff, but really it came out to be on a mass market. And that's when the teacher mentality came in. And the teacher mentality is you bring knowledge to a problem. If there's a problem, I bring knowledge, you take that knowledge, you do something with it. But that's gone away. Hmm. What we ask everyone to do is what we call being an architect, meaning we offer the blueprints for individuals to bridge the gap themselves. And what I found, no matter which company we've gone in, whether it was you know, big tech companies or the United States military, no matter what happens, if we don't get the individual to bridge the gap back to the company, then there will always be this kind of forced mentality and it will never be sustainable. So people are able to do more than we think they are. We just need to properly equip them so that they can bridge the gap back to us. So taking that a little bit further, Matt, and to use a, an English pun, right? Mind the gap. Uh, how do we identify those gaps? So what we call them is PPGs, personnel performance gaps. And PPGs work very specifically uh, where it's the sum total of all of the personal gaps that people have, personal performance gaps on your team and how that's impacting your team from achieving the results they want, right? So the way I describe this as is, is like a pothole. And if you, under, if you ever ran over a pothole, we all react about the same way. Some have more choice words than other, but the end all thing is like, where did that come from? Like I've driven this every single day and now my tire's flat and that pothole was not there yesterday. The way pothole forms is they literally underneath the surface, water gets in and then as pressures go up and down and up and down, the, the expansion and contraction causes the surface underneath the surface to start breaking away. And then the slight amount of pressure that comes on top of it causes that pothole to sink drastically. What happens is if you're not calculating and tracking this metric that we call PPGs, personnel performance gaps, and you're not exposing them and bridging them and equipping your people to do the same, you're going to have a pothole hit and it's going to disrupt your track. It's going to destroy your tire and it is going to throw your team off. So the way we do it, is we need individuals to be able to have the systems to expose it themselves. So as managers, our job is not to fix. Our job is to listen. Our job is to follow trends. Our job is to see what's going on and why is why is Greg or Matt off their game this week? What is it that's going on that's throwing them off? I know it's not their ability, right? We went through a phase throughout business and as leaders is we must hire smart. The majority of companies I work with do that. Their hiring process is amazing. Their firing process is quick. The part that becomes the issue is when that person who came to the interview doesn't show up to work, mm. not physically, I mean mentally. The mentality of, hey, I'll do whatever's needed, is that's how the transactional interview goes. All right, here's your salary. Here's your bonus structure. Great. I would do whatever you need. 
within about 30 days without properly equipping that person with a system to continue that intention, you're going to start getting questions like, well, why do I have to stay till five o'clock on Friday? Excuse me? Like that was, <laughs> you said you'd work on the weekends. Now you're upset. I'm asking you to work 40 hours a week. Those type of things will start coming through without equipping them properly. So that that is the biggest thing is preparing them and offering them the proper tools so that they can use it. And not just in their professional life, the key to sustainability is foundations should hit all three major parts of your life. And the way we use this is we have three filters. There's your professional life. Does this work in my business? Then we go through, does this work in my personal life, right? Can I take this for my personal goals, whether it's a fitness goal or a spiritual goal or or a mental goal? And the final one is, will this work in my family life? Mm-hmm. If it will work in all three, it is what I call a truth. And truths cannot change. Truths work no matter when you use them. And there are no new truths. There are no new fundamentals. So when we can get all three of them hitting, that's when we as a company, Life Pulse, come out and we will show them to our clients saying, hey, this is a solution for these gaps that we're running into because it works in all three of these areas very, very well. So it doesn't matter whether you're at work, you're with your family, you're coaching a game, whatever it is you're doing, you're a member of your community, the system works consistently because it's based on truth. Wonderful. And so you, the PPB, the PPG concept is new to me. And when you you said it, what I envisioned was sort of a portfolio view of your team. And at every given time, there's gaps in Greg's performance or Greg's coming to work or doing his job or dealing with his family. And then you, as a team member, Matt, might have a different gap at a different time. Mm-hmm. Am I understanding that correctly, that it is sort of a portfolio team view? Yeah. It, it's almost if you think of like a, like a dam holding back water. And there's a hole here and a hole here and a hole here and a hole here. And if Greg and Matt are constantly battling with these gaps without any solution, that hole will cause more damage. But if we can find a way for Greg to plug the hole and Matt to plug the hole, no manager, I don't care how good you are, no leader, I don't care how good you are, can solve other people's problems at the rate that problems occur. It's impossible. We need the individuals to do that. That comes with responsibility. That comes with accountability. All these words that these newer generations coming through the works are saying, hey, we don't want that. We don't need that. Humans work in a very specific way. We like rhythm. We like structure. We might not like your rhythm and we might not like your structure, but we do like rhythm and structure. What we do is we offer a concept of you know flexibility and structure so that the individual can customize it for themselves as long as they are, like you said, filling those gaps in that portfolio. Because if that portfolio has multiple gaps happening, we're going to have major issues. I can tell you one of my strengths is my ability to work. Most people, work is not their problem. When it comes to leading people, if you think the reason your sales rep is not hitting the numbers they need because he or she is is not doing the work or is not willing to do the work, that's a potential, yes, reason, but that's not the cause. There's a cause of them not doing the work. If you go to the doctor's office and I say, hey, Uh, I'm sitting here and this is another issue that leaders don't do. I have a broken arm and they say, great. What happened? Well, I fell, I hit my arm on the curb and now it's broken right where you see the bruise. Cool. Let's put a cast on. But if I walk in randomly and Greg, you're the doctor and I say, Hey doc, I woke up this morning. No idea what happened. My arm's broken. You're not just going to put a cast on. Yes, that is the solution, but we need to find the cause Hmm. so it doesn't happen again. 
And that's where that PPG is. Too many managers try to solve the problem, which is needed, but they never go back and find out what's the root cause of it. And if the root cause of it is because Matt and and my wife, Maria, if we're having issues at home or we're having issues with our, our daughter, our daughter has a bunch of medical conditions, maybe Matt's not going to be as on his game right now. And if that's the case, I can give this little thing called grace without wondering if Matt's losing his edge or Matt's falling off the wagon versus what a lot of managers do is they'll come in and beat me up going, Matt, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you hitting your numbers? What's happening? Why aren't you doing it? Oh, okay. I'll get better at it. And I don't mean that. There's other things causing it. And if I'm equipped to handle them, the manager can do the manager's job. It doesn't have to babysit and start hitting people over the head, like I was saying. Right, right. Which brings us all right back to your misconception around who's serving who. Bingo. Right. And it, and it's our responsibility as the leader or as leadership to be sensitive and aware of where our teammates are, what they're bringing to the office on a particular day. Where is their gap? Um but also to have the ability to know what tools and what systems to use versus just blindly going, oh, Matt's having a bad day. Let's just let him fizzle out for the day and then he'll come back tomorrow, a new guy. Yeah. And the reason why that is, is because as managers, we recognize there's emotional issues and logical issues. And emotions are real, but they're not always reality. So we need to validate the emotion. Yeah, okay, I get it, Matt, you're stressed. Or the biggest one right now is I'm overwhelmed. I'm burnt out. Right. And burnout now is an is a actual term that WHO recognizes as a condition, which means somebody can literally, as, a, as an employee, come to a manager and say, hey, I'm burned out. I need you to back off. Like you do that in the drill sergeant days, like <laughs> the door couldn't hit you fast enough. Right. Now, all of a sudden, my excuse can be, I can't handle the job. So, manager, I need you to back off me. That's a very difficult way to manage. Now, if we can avoid getting to that burnout, then we don't have to worry about that issue. But too few people put the time in when they need to. So when we do this, um, the systems we put in place, and this is why we, we, we've had to make our own because we weren't able to find any that actually did this in a reasonable way that didn't take up too much time and gave that good balance of professionalism and personalism so that you as a manager aren't opening doors you shouldn't be opening. Does that make sense? Like as a manager, yep. it's not your job to be a my counselor. However, it is helpful to understand what I'm going through so that you can figure out who you should manage and how you should manage. There's three questions that we ask people. This is just one of the systems that we offer. This is in our book, Motivate the Unmotivated. It's what are you focused on this week? What are you grateful for this week? And what are you working towards this week? If I know those three things about you, I can help you achieve whatever it is you want. And if I listen to that, and we always say we need to see cycles of four to eight, four to eight weeks of asking that question, you will see the trends as a manager. And this is what we coach on as a manager to go, okay, Matt is really motivated about his family. He really values his family. And because of that, if we need to stay late and Matt has an event where he's either coaching his kids or he's going to his kids event, if I don't need Matt there, I'm not going to ask Matt to be there because that's a major withdrawal. However, if I have someone else who's a single person, a younger person, somebody who just would rather work or someone's at, hey, I need some extra time, I need some overtime, it's well worth paying that person to be here on the overtime because they've asked for it. The problem is, is if managers are too busy in the weeds, they can't see the trends. Mm. And that's what we need to keep ourselves out of. How do we stay out of the weeds? We equip the employees properly to be able to handle their week. 
we have we have a uh, a saying we say where it's the 80/20 principle of planning. And this is the key to the foundation. When we do our unbreakable workshop and we train people through this is the fact that 80% of your life you can plan, 20% you cannot. However, if you don't take care of that 80, the 20 feels like 100. <laughs> and that's where overwhelm comes in. So managers, if you're hearing people are overwhelmed, we need to give them a way to manage their their day and to have a logical conversation when they come to you and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with too much. Well, that's your opinion versus my opinion. And with our clients, when they come in, we say, hey, show me your LP. And the LP is just a simple planning system that we teach for throughout the week. If they show their LP, we can now take the emotions out of it and see the logical reasoning. Hey, you're overwhelmed because me as a manager, I come in and say, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this. None of that really is urgent, but because I'm your boss and you heard me say it, you think it's urgent. And now you're overwhelmed when I didn't mean, I didn't mean to even overwhelm you. I was just throwing ideas out there. And when I work with my assistant, she has full, like, this is a great example. Sydney's an amazing, amazing assistant. And when I work with Sydney, Sydney has the authority to tell me to stop. She has the authority to tell me to shut up. She has the authority to tell me that I'm overwhelming her schedule. She is the authority to say, hey, I can't do that right now. Why? Because me as a high-level thinker, as a visionary, I have ideas all the time. Her as more of the implementer and the integrator, and she's able to sit there and focus she will do everything I say. And because of that, I need her to go, hold on, that's the 15th thing you've asked me to do today and it's noon. What do you want off my plate? What do you want on my plate? Where do you, how, what order do you need this stuff done in? And that communication, when you teach and, and empower your people to be able to come back to you and say, hey, you've given me a lot. Um, and I always tell the, the subordinate who's talking to their manager, the way you approach this is, hey, I'm happy to do what you're saying. I don't know when I can do that. When does that need to be done? So mm. every client we work with, the first thing we say when we work with the managers is make sure you put a deadline on when it needs to be done. Because if there's no deadline, you need to tell them, hey, whenever you have time and you need to mean whenever you have time. But if it needs to be done today, we got to do that. And sometimes we need to help people remove roadblocks so they can do their job. So man, I'm curious of where and when you came up with this insight with dealing with your assistant. It's a, it's a great example. Yeah. Um, many of us, when we start, it's like, we just need to get all these things done and then we're just running and running and running. We don't take the time to self-reflect and, and make changes in how we behave and empower others to say, Hey, stop. Right. Yeah. Enough's enough. Like, when did that hit you? Like what, what was the light bulb? Oh man. Which light bulb, right. As entrepreneurs, <laughs> we got to get hit a couple of times. Um, what, what really came down to it was when I'd sit there and, and, and people would be overwhelmed and I'm sitting here going, I know what you're dealing with and I know what I'm dealing with. How are you possibly overwhelmed? Right? Like, like there's not much that needs to be done right now. Exactly. Except for you said, wouldn't it be nice if we could redo the website? And wouldn't it be nice if we had this email put together? Hey, what if we were to go and see what it would cost to do this? And, and how about this? And and this, and, and, and I'm an idea vomiter because that's how I process them. Well, if you, if you do that with somebody who's a doer, it's just another thing that needs to get done. And what happens is, is those people who are doers are more are better equipped to get it done. So I need them to be able to go, okay, Matt, here, what's going on? Now, where I really saw this was when you start consulting people at the levels that we consult people on. 
you start realizing these are good managers that are not doing a good job of managing. Why is it? And part of it is, is because we have really strong opinions that are very loosely held. Meaning when we say stuff, it sounds like fact. And my brother, we were at, well, was up at his house. Uh, he's in Chicago. And this was a conversation he brought up. I was like, that's exactly what we do. We state things like they're facts. But then someone's like, well, what about this? You're like, yeah, sure. Why not? And they're like, oh, I thought you were going to, I thought like you would fight back. And it's a very strong opinion loosely held. We will state things as managers that we really feel are true and no one questions them. So therefore, I guess they're true. And giving that power. Now, with that comes to what we call the motivational formula. And this is also in that book, but the motivational formula works like this. It's the sum total of how well you know yourself, how well you know them times whatever system you're using equals the results you're going to get. If you mess up any of those variables, then you're going to have a negative result. The the biggest variable that most managers don't deal with is the you part, meaning me. Am I comfortable enough to be told by someone I'm paying that I'm wrong? And if you're not, we got to start at the first variable. Before you even think about leading others, that's what I was saying, you get a leadership role because you get a title. It has nothing to do with it. You can get all the titles in the world. If you have no one willing to follow you, I would argue you're not a leader, maybe a dictator, but not a leader. And with all of that, we need to take the step back and be able to say, hey, empower your people. Tell them, hey, if you think what I'm saying is wrong, tell me. However, if you tell me it's wrong, I'm coming back with, give me a solution. And when my people come to me with problems, there are rules. They're not allowed to come to me with problems that they don't have at least a solution with. And to make it fun, I ask them to give me three solutions. One that costs $0, like I will personally walk there and figure it out myself. That's a $0 solution. One that is reasonably priced and one that we can do if money wasn't a problem. Like we're just going to buy a new building. Cool. That, and what happens is it gives some, some, some leeway and some relaxation for the individual so they don't feel like they're going to give you a bad solution. And if they give you a solution as a manager, even if it's not the best solution, if it's a workable solution, if it's a safe solution, if it's a financially feasible solution and, a, and somewhat wise solution, go with it. Don't change it because it's not yours. And that's what I find we do. We, we put our input in. Uh, a great example, when I said everything we teach, we have to make sure we put it through the family filter. And if it survives a family filter, it's good. My wife and I are building a house, right? The house we're in right now. Uh, it's a custom house. So they're like, all right, when are you guys going to schedule a time for you to come in and pick out all the finishes? And she's like, hey, when can you do it? When can you do it? And I was like, I don't know. I was like, I was like actually, I remember when we got married and you asked me my opinion on things. And nine times out of 10, when I answered, not only did I not agree with you, I answered wrong. Like I somehow picked the one you hated. <laughs> If you ask me for my opinion, I'm going to give it. However, I don't really care which save the date we sent out. And when this came up, I was like, if you ask me which handle I want on the cabinets, I don't care. But if you give me three options, there's a 30, you know, probably a 66% chance that I'm going to make the wrong decision. So because I don't care on what the cabinet handles look like, please don't even ask for my opinion. So let me remove myself from this. Let me pull my ego out of this and let me just recognize as long as the cabinets let me open the door, I love all of them. As long as your idea employee doesn't destroy the company or hurt the client or take a, take us a step backwards, we're doing your idea because what's going to happen and then do what you need to do to help make that work. 
You are now empowering your employees to do what needs to be done. A lot of times people sit there and go, I need to delegate better. Well, you also need to empower more. There's a difference, right? Like delegate people are like, I need to, okay, get more things. I tell every manager when something comes in and gets put on your plate, you need to know who you're delegating it to directly, instantly. Now, once you've delegated effectively, you can then go back in and go, hey, Greg, I know I told you I needed you to do this. If you want, let me take that back. Hey, Sharon, I know I told you I needed you to do this. I got some time. If you want, I can take that back or I could take something else off your plate. But we need to come in and serve others first, meaning serve their tasks as well first. Once we realize that everyone's gotten their first set of food, now we can go around and say, okay, my plate's now empty. Where can I help best? Who needs me most? And now I can serve. That's powerful. That's really, really powerful. You know, Matt, you mentioned a word that I, I feel and I'm sensitive to, and I, I see it across our entrepreneurs organization. I see it in my form and my family, and that's around burnout. Mm-hmm. And my question for you on burnout is how you know, doing this work over all these years, and especially given the pandemic we've just gotten through and the upcoming recession and all these things, I just feel like a heavy sweater on us. How do you, rec- as a leader, how do you recognize burnout in yourself, in your yeah. team? Talk to us about that a little bit. All right. So hu- humans were made a very specific way. We need rest. We cannot keep going. How do I know that? Every 24 hours, eventually, maybe 48 if you keep going, you're going to fall asleep. Like our bodies were made to rest. We were not made to keep going the way we are. And because we're constantly stimulated, we actually need more rest than we ever did before. So all of that being said, Greg, I don't try to like overcome burnout. I recognize that if I don't do something now, the end result is burnt out. Mm. It's like sitting there, think about holding a match and you light it and you're going, okay, it's getting close to my fingers, but I think it's going to keep staying lit. No, eventually it will burn out. There's nothing else in the tank to be burned. So we avoid it by controlling it in the beginning. So how do we do that? There's two things to recognize. And I kind of said it earlier. Number one, rhythm brings peace and structure brings freedom. So if you are not in a structured mode of operation and there's no rhythm to what you do on a weekly, daily basis, monthly, quarterly, annually, you name it, then you will burn out eventually. So one of the one of the rhythms that we have we call it the LP structure of success and it starts with this it's annual planning, quarterly review, monthly celebration, weekly planning at our daily actions. And then those annual retreats lead up to what we call our 15 year vision, right? So that's how we look forward out. And every action we take today helps us move closer to where we want to be in 15 years. And we do that in all areas. It's not just professional. We use the same system in your personal life, your relational life, your spiritual life, the same exact system because there's no new truth. There's no new fundamentals. It's all already been created. It's our ability to discover and use it in the way that it's built to be used. This world, whether you like it or not, is built on systems and rhythms. The sun will come up tomorrow, hopefully, right? And if it doesn't, we're all in trouble. And the moon will do what the moon does. And, and, and the sky will do what the sky. Like there, there is rhythms we cannot control. The question that I've seen the most successful people do is they've been able to find these rhythms and use them not 
in a leveraged way, but use them in the way they're supposed to be used, which leads us to the weekly part. I am telling you, the most successful people we work with have a system before they need it. Average people look for a system when they need it. It's a big difference. My examples with, again, everything I'm going to tell you is going to go back to my family because if it works in my family, it will work with me personally. It'll work with my business every single time. My daughter, Natalie, has an extremely rare medical condition. So Natalie, she's the 17th person to ever have it. Um, she can't use her muscles, basically. So she's in a wheelchair. She's five years old now. She's been in a wheelchair since she was three. Gravity is her worst enemy, right? So she can't sit herself up, but she's mentally fully there. When Natalie gets the common cold, because of her muscle condition, she can't clear the mucus the way you or I would. So the common cold usually leads us to a week to two weeks in the ICU, right? Monitoring her. You know, there's sometimes some years that we've spent literally almost 180 days in the hospital throughout the year. All of that being said, with that, that uh, introduction you gave me from my mom, right? With all the things we do, we have multiple businesses we run. We have multiple foundations we either run or sit on the board of. We're very active in the community. We're very active in our church. We work through things on a regular, regular basis. And all that being said, my wife and I, we have a son, we have our daughter, we have a third kid on the way. I mean, we do a lot. How do we do it all? We do it all by making sure that we invest the time needed ahead of time to be prepared for what's coming next. Mm. We also have fail-safes, things like what we call maintenance mode. So if Natalie goes in the hospital, there is a rhythm and a structure to how we deal with emergencies. I go, Maria takes care of the house, and then I stay there for the first day or two until things are kind of normalized, and then Maria will come in and we'll start going every 24 hours. There's rhythms to what we do. There's structure to what we do. Uh, what happens is people then go, yeah, but I want to live more of a free life, right? I, I don't want that much structure in my life. The beautiful thing is when you use what we teach, it's not a structure we're forcing on you. It's a structure you get to adapt to your life. So it's not too invasive. So a uh, I know I gave you a long answer to it, but this burnout, the biggest thing is we have to get in front of it. We have to equip mm -hmm. our people so that they see it coming before. They expose those gaps before the gaps are too big for them to bridge. They bridge them when they're small cracks. They fill them in before they even become what you would call a gap. And how do we do it? We give them the tools they need. So the, the most impactful tool we have is our LP planner, right? Our LP planner is a nine, nine uh, part uh, system. It's nine questions to ask yourself on a weekly basis to get your head on straight. And we, we created this concept that we call reverse planning. The way we all plan now is we list out what we have to do. Then we kind of just check off what we get done that day. That's if you're like an avid planner. You're like a good planner. You do that. The key to a fulfilled life is to do what I call reverse planning. And reverse planning works like this. You list out what you want, then you list out what you need to do, and then the key is you only do what is important. And how do you define what's important? It's what's related to a goal of yours. How do you know what a goal is of yours? You have to understand what your core values are. And what do your core values lead to is your purpose. And you tie all of this together so there's a holistic approach to live your life. That's why we we have a program that we call the Unbreakable Workshops that we take every client's team through, right? When we come in and work with clients, we do a combination of training and coaching. We train the entire company. You have 10,000 people, bring them all into a Zoom call and we'll get them all trained. But then we coach the manager. So the managers can be a walking, talking, breathing example of what needs to get done. We do this because individuals need to understand who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. So it makes sense why doing the job at work happens. 
if they know the company's core values, but they don't know their core values, your core values as a company mean nothing to them. We have to tie it all together. But I can't tie it all together for my managers. And I can't tie it all together for my employees. I need them to tie it together for themselves. And that's where this whole thing comes from is understanding who are you, why are you here, and why working for this company is what we call your purpose vehicle. And we help them self-discover that so that they can understand why it's important to show up every day and focus on those daily actions. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, rewinding 30 years, and I'm putting a number on you, which I, that's probably a little bit too high, but talk to us about getting your journey and how you got into this and your discovery. And like, was this on your radar, helping people with these tools and systems when you were young? Like, when did, yeah, then back to light bulbs, right? When did your journey sort of crystallize into this impactful work that you're doing? Oh, man. So when I was 15, uh, I was forced to go, not forced, but you know, told to go by my parents to this youth leadership program called Eagle University. And I wanted to go because my brothers and sisters went. I went the first year. They were talking about goal setting. It's, again, you're 15, goal setting. They use this concept of a seven-year career head start, and it was okay. But what I loved about it, to be perfectly honest with you, was every single, uh, almost every single Miss USA and Miss Teen USA got a scholarship to go. So as a 15-year-old boy, right, I'm sitting there going like, yeah, I'd love to go back. So I went back a second year. But what I found was these these girls that were there as the pageant girls, right? And they weren't the only girls there, but at that age, that was what I was excited about. They didn't want the class clown. They wanted the person who actually was like, they were there, they're, they're competitors, right? They're beautiful, no question about it. But the the competitiveness inside of them was 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 just as as energizing. And because of that, I had to now act like I knew what I was doing in order to have a conversation. What that led to is, okay, well, this stuff kind of works. Then it led to freshman year of college. And my brother gave me the advice. He said, hey, he said, girls really like guys with goals. So take your goals and put them on the wall and they'll see them and they'll think that you're, you know, you actually have your stuff together. Well, I did that. And not only did the girls recognize it, but all the guys recognized it as well. So the girls would say, oh, that's cute. And the guys would just rip me apart, right? Like they would make fun of me. But what was happening was almost every single day, my focus was being put back on the goals. And then as things started going, and then as I started kind of realizing what was happening, uh, there was a time in my life where I lost everything, right? Employees embezzled about a quarter million dollars worth of product from me. Uh, physically, I was a train wreck. Spiritually, I was completely empty, right? Didn't really have much spiritual anything going on in my life. And then uh, I was engaged at the time, and we were actually going to go to GLC in 2014 uh, and Greece, my fiance and I were going to go. And the day before we left, she gave me the ring back and said, I can't do this. So I literally lost everything in about a 30-day period. And uh, I had nowhere else to turn to. And fortunately, you know, I came to Christ right around that time. And I, ha I had my, my spirituality to lean on. And what came to me was the fact that it's not as hard as you're making it out to be. Mm. And there's systems to the things that are of this world that you can use. And that's really what opened my eyes to all this stuff. Where I saw it work was when I finally met Maria, my wife, and she looked at me and said, man, I knew marrying you was going to be hard, but like, I didn't realize it was going to be this hard. Like, you're insane. Like, you have a new idea every day. Like, this is nuts. And you saw from our resume, we do a lot. I'm not saying we do a lot well. I'm just saying we do a lot. And because of that, um, I said, well, there's these nine questions that I ask myself, which is really what came to me as I was going through that downturn before I met Maria. 
on how do I make it through the week? Like, like thinking past the week was too much. A day was too short. And I just, I needed something to keep me on track. And that's where the nine questions came from. When I shared it with her, she asked if she could use it. And I didn't realize how off I was so disconnected from her. The one person that I think in this world, I should have been wildly connected with. And then when that happened, I gave it to my assistant and then I gave it to our warehouse managers and I gave it to our sales reps, the same system. And one thing led to another and a large financial institution found a copy of the book and said, hey, I really love what you're doing with this. This will solve our biggest personnel problems. Would you be interested in coming in and having a conversation and sharing what you do? I said, absolutely. I don't know. This isn't my company. This is just an idea that I've done with my employees. And my employees at the time, I hired everyone off Craigslist for this one company we own because what we were doing most people wouldn't want to do the job. Let's put it that way. So I needed to offer it to a very specific group. And that group was the most valuable group I've ever had to manage and I've ever had to work with because it taught me to work with the human, not what the human's achievements were. The way we hire people is based on what they've done. The way I had to work with people is based on who they are. And that right there, and I've never said that before, but that is the key to managing. We hire people based on what the resumes say they've done and our assumptions of what they will then do. And yes, based on the past, we can somewhat predict the future, but based on the person, we can be ensure that the character never changed. Who that person was is who that person is and is, is who that person will always be. And because of that, when I went and talked with this financial institution, they said, man, this, this we would have paid millions for this. And I said, excuse me? <laughs> like you still can. I'm very happy. Like write a check now. I'll create an LLC and we could be done with it. And they said, no, no, we're good. We're going to take this and run with it. And I said, all right, well, I, I wasn't doing it to start a business. I said, but um, what is this something other companies are going to run into? And she said, this is something every other company is going to run into. And as time goes on, more and more will. Uh, and then COVID hit, right? A couple of years later and sped up the process. Mm. Every company is running into this right now because people don't know what they want. Managers don't know how to manage. And all of a sudden, what COVID did was not completely disrupt everything. COVID basically brought light on everything, right? It was terrible what happened, but it shined light on the companies that were solid and it shined light on, on the majority of the companies that were not as solid. And because of that, when that set, that structure kind of, you know, it's like the lights turned on and everyone got to see who everyone else was, not everyone had the foundation that was needed to survive something like that. And that's what we need to do. We need to teach the people to have that foundation. You know, you, you mentioned it when you were talking about hiring these employees from Craigslist and the words you use that you were hiring them for who they are. I think the pandemic also shined to your point, shined that light onto us as individuals and said, you know what? I can be who I want to be and who I am and don't have yeah. to have this false front in front of my clients and my boss and my family. And like, it's okay that my kids are Zoom bombing in middle of a podcast or right. a, a, a critical meeting. All that became okay and it humanized us. Mm -hmm. And now I think where you're really, your value is driving is how do we put those pieces together in this sort of newer environment where again, we're, we're mission to lead <clears throat> and, and serve others versus yeah. telling people this is the direction and, how, and this is how we're going to get there. Well, and, and that's what we call, we call it PVTT. So personal value tied to task. That's the key to motivating anybody. So when we come in and do our LP complete program, it's my favorite thing we do with clients. It's a six-month engagement where we are all in that company. 
And the reason why I love doing it is because we come in and we show them exactly what is it that motivates other people. How do you figure it out? And then what we do, and this is my favorite part. So anyone listening, you could take this and just do it yourself if you want. But we find out what their motivational catalyst is. We have a, you can go on our website and you can access that as well. Um, once we know what the motivational catalyst is, we then create what we call motivational packages. This is where it gets really fun. So we get real creative on how we incentivize people based on, like we said, who they are. What is it you want? A great example was we were working with a client um, and this client uh, had a new location opening up uh, in South Carolina and they wanted 100 new clients coming through the door that year. That was the goal. They can get 100 new clients, man, they are golden. So I asked my client who brought us in to do our LP complete program. I said, what would you pay this individual? Again, I try to take names out of it, but this individual, uh, if they hit this goal in 90 days, because everything we do is in 90 day chunks. And he goes, there's no way, but honestly, I'd give them yeah, $20,000, $30,000. I mean, that's how profitable getting these 100 people in that quick would be worth it. I said, all right, well, let me talk to them. So I go and talk with them and I say, hey, um, here's what we're looking to do based on what your motivational catalyst is, which is freedom. Uh, obviously, you want to get away, get a trip, take a trip. What, when's the last time you took a trip? He goes, man, he goes, I haven't taken a trip since I started and I got out of school. And my wife, who they knew in school, has been dying to go on a trip. I said, well, here's what we're going to do. I said, and I got approval from my client first. I said, before we do anything, if you get these 100 clients in the next 90 days, the company will actually pay for you to fly anywhere you want with your wife in the US first class and get away for a week. And my client, your boss, will come in and work your location for you for that week. And uh, man, this guy went home that night and told his wife and his wife sent him back to work. Right. Mm-hmm. This is the wife who was complaining because he's working too much. And what happened was, is in 45 days, he gets 100 clients. He then decides to take a first class trip for him and his wife from South Carolina to Miami, Florida. My client was going to give him 30 grand. It ended up costing my client about $2,500. <laughs> so here's the part because I like to be honest. So I went back to this person who, again, we create really strong relationships and said, Hey, congratulations on the trip. I love that you were able to do it. How was he? He said, It was amazing. I'm so energized. It was exactly what I wanted. I said, I got to tell you something because the counter to what we offered you, which we didn't tell you, was about 30 grand. Which would you rather have had? And he looked and he goes, This is really strange, but I would have asked for the 30 grand as, as the motivational factor because we're all told we want money. He goes, But I can tell you, I would have never hit the goal. So it would have been, yes, I would have said, anyone would have said they wanted 30 grand, right? Because I'll take 30 grand, I'll take a first class ticket, and then I'll have another $25,000 to do whatever I want with. But he said there was something about the buy-in that I had and something about the buy-in that my wife had that made it worth doing. And we're sitting there trying to motivate people with money. And in a time like today, we need to maximize our resources, I mean, with the recession that we're talking about, right? Some people say it's happened. Some people, who cares? Bottom line is it's tough right now. I don't care what type of term you want to put on the the economy. It is tough right now, and it's only going to get tougher. And there's not any more money to be bailed out to companies because they spent all that a year and a half ago, two years ago. So now we really are going to have to survive. How do we do it? It is not by making massive layoffs. That might have to happen, but there's a step we can take beforehand. And that is that we properly equipped our team to be able to deal with what's coming so that they are maximizing their output and minimizing their stress 
which will stop them from experiencing the inevitable burnout that will happen whether you lay them off or you drive them into the ground. That's so, so well said. Um, and please tell me that the end of that story, when the boss took over the territory for the week, that he didn't ruin all those accounts and now there's no more sales. <laughs> no, it, it, it kept growing. It, it, momentum is momentum. I mean, it, it, it's, again, str- rhythms and structure. When things get going, we got to keep them going. And what happens is when it's tied to value, and now that person is buying, we talk about ownership mentality. It's a huge trend. I think the concept is amazing. I think the reality of people doing it is only as limited as their ability to do that. So to ask a, 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 an employee to be an owner mentally, and they're not an owner, they're just being, it's, it's a facade. So the slightest thing is going to throw that off. But to sit there and go, hey, you're my, one of my other favorite things, right? If we have a bunch of runners out there, right? Hey, I love to do marathons. Or I, I don't, but there's some crazy people in the world who do, right? Um, well, every quarter, based on their goals, we sit down and just do a simple ROI calculation to make sure financially it makes sense. If an individual hits this number, it makes sense for us to buy a $125 pair of shoes every quarter for that individual to go running in. Because guess what happens? Every time that person's out running, they take a picture and send it to their manager saying, thank you. Mm-hmm. And what happens is then you start finding out, wait, you tend like to go run. Why don't you guys all take the day off and go run together? What do you think they're talking about? They're literally solving problems at work while they're doing what they love. That is the ownership mentality. Greg, that's what you and I do as entrepreneurs. You and I get down for coffee. We're going to sit there and have a conversation. How are the kids? How are they? And then eventually we're going to start solving problems because mm-hmm. that's just what we relate with. And when you put people together who like each other, all of a sudden you don't have to create a culture. The culture gets created based on the fact that the individuals value each other. And that's key, especially, I mean, now more than ever. It, it, I mean, this has worked from the beginning of time. However, now more than ever, we need to be as leaders maximizing the resources we have, the people we have. We do not want turnover. We do not want people burnt out. We don't want people missing days. We want people feeling fulfilled so that when they get that call to still work remote and get paid twice as much because they're getting a call from Silicon Valley or getting a call from New York or Chicago or LA, but they could stay in that smaller city, we want them staying. And that's what we focus on. That's so, so powerful. Matt, wrapping this up, uh, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, so here's what you could do. Uh, obviously, our website's lifepulseinc.com. Uh, if you like anything you're saying, obviously go on there, reach out. We'll get, we do free consultations for people all the time to help expose those PPGs. Just go on and, and, uh, and, and uh, click the consultation tab. Uh, but the other thing I'll do, and again, I like doing this when I do podcasts that I enjoy, Greg, and I enjoyed this one. Um, is we'll set up what we call, uh, we'll do lifepulseinc.com backslash pod gift. And we'll just put together a gift of maybe some of the digital stuff that we're doing. Um, If you have a company who's interested or you're a manager and you're saying, man, I don't know if my company is ready to do it. We do this on all different levels from individuals to companies. And we love to just talk and see, does this make sense? And if not us, I have a lot of friends who are in this industry, right? If someone's like, hey, I need some financial, you know, some CFO work, Greg, I'm sending them to you. We don't do that. We work on a very specific thing to help employees maximize their performance and eliminate their excuses. And that's all we do. So if you ask for anything else, we will pass you on to other people. But if we can help you, we'd love to. So you can find us on social. Uh, ha- or, uh, all of our uh, handles are just at Life Pulse Inc., L-I-F-E-P-U-L-S-E-I-N-C. Um, and again, reach out. We're happy, happy to help. If you want, um, you could shoot me an email directly. Uh, email you're going to email is mattg at lifepulseinc.com. 
And we do these weekly wisdoms that we offer out every single week, just a short video that we can connect you with on there. Um, and I think I've given you every way to contact me besides my my personal phone number, which we can do that <laughs> if you email me. Um, but man, Greg, I appreciate what you're doing. Again, bringing this content to, to the viewers is something that I think is very important and, and needs to happen more regularly. So I really appreciate it uh, and love what you're doing with this podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for saying it, Matt. And, and I think you got the record for the number of pages of notes that I've taken. I'm not <laughs> sure I looked at my camera once during this entire podcast because uh, your time blocking, your nine questions, your wisdoms around misconceptions, uh, being grateful, focus. Uh, it's just powerful, powerful stuff and stuff that I need in my life right now. So Thank you uh, for turning that light bulb on for me. And I look forward to staying in touch. And anyone who didn't write down uh, those that contact information, those links, they're in the show notes. So please scroll down. And if you like this, listening to Matt and I chit chat, we ask that you share it with one or two others. And let's see how far this reach can go. But Matt, again, thanks for being on the show. You're an amazing guest. And I appreciate reconnecting with you. Appreciate it, Greg. Have a good one. You too. And that's a wrap, my friends. Thank you for spending your time with me. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at impactfulleadershipshow.com. One last food for thought. Walk on with hope in your heart and you'll never walk alone.